I didn't post what I'm preaching on again today because it's worked out good the last few weeks. Because sometimes when I post on things, people don't come because they say, I don't need that in my life. I don't want to hear about that. I don't want to know about that. So we're going to talk about raising children today. Now, the reason I didn't want to talk about, put that on, because some people say, well, I don't have kids. I'm not going to have kids or I'm done with having kids, or whatever that looks like, so maybe this can't, this isn't going to affect my life. But I want to encourage you that it's important for us to grow in wisdom in every area of life, and so even if we're not going to have children, or I totally empathize with people who maybe struggle to have children, hear that your pastor is with you, praying for you. I know there's been a lot of pain in those areas, but it's necessary for us to talk about Raising children well for the glory of God centered on the gospel. Now hear me, just like I talked about marriage last week. So we got marriage and children, so sometimes that doesn't apply to everybody. And we'll be right back at next week, a new subject that will hit everybody. But hear me say that marriage is not the ultimate to be happy, and having children is not the ultimate to be happy. Having Jesus is the ultimate to be happy. Okay? So hear that today. You're not less of a person. You're not less love if you don't have children or can't have children or don't want to have children or you're not married. Do you hear that from me starting? But we have to talk about these subjects sometimes when it talks about raising children. In Proverbs 22.6, it says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And let me just say one more thing before I get there. We will have a section of the sermon, If You Don't Have Children, or couldn't have children, or not planning on having children, still how you can get involved with the gospel. And so I want you to know that part of this sermon is still focused on everyone who's here today. So, I've been a dad now almost 10 years in May. I didn't plan to become a dad so quick, to be honest with you. I had like a 10-year plan when me and Natalie got married. After three months of marriage, that went out the window. God had different plans. It was the best thing that happened to me for my maturity um, because I needed to grow up in a lot of ways as a man. And not that you need that, but I tell you, it helped me out tremendously to have to take responsibility for another human being. It was the most intimidating, one of the most intimidating things that ever had me. I had borderline anxiety attacks when I found out I was going to be a dad. I'm not a video game guy, and I started playing video games like a madman. Like, I got Lord of the Rings when that was big, and I just wa- I was playing Lord of the Rings just to get out of the anxiety that I was going to be a dad. I was 25 years old, and I'm like, I just got married three months earlier. I'm living in a basement apartment. <clears throat> it was all beautiful. And I said, there's some anxiety going on there. When Natalie's water broke... I'm surprised I made it to the hospital. I drove a half a mile an hour to that hospital. Then when we had Talia in the car on the way back, I'm surprised we got home even now. I drove so slow. When you got another soul in the car, things change. And I'm a slow driver. I've been pulled over twice for going too slow, if you guys didn't know. When I had a baby in the car, I'm surprised I made it home. Things changed. When she came home, my daughter had to go to intensive care because she swallowed, I think it's called meconium when they swallow it in their, what? Is that right? Yeah. She swallowed it, so they brought her right to the intensive care. 
And I watched my baby girl, she had tubes all hooked up to her, 90% oxygen, and I said, welcome to fatherhood. I said, I got this soul that I'm going to love, I'm going to care about, I'm going to worry about for the rest of my life. And it was a great reward. She came home, I'm telling you, I counted, they said she should be breathing 60 times per minute. I counted every breath the whole night. And then 6 a.m. came, I passed on the shift. And I said, I'm tapping out, next. But... I realized that I had this child that God had given me in Natalie. And the most important thing I could give this child was teaching this child the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's nothing greater you can give your child than the truth and the reality and the person of Jesus. And one of the greatest, my greatest moments as a dad is when my oldest got baptized. Many of you were here last year when she was nine years old. She got baptized because she decided to follow Jesus. And in one of my proudest moments as a dad, and I felt that by God's grace, I was successful to a degree because as a dad, as a mom, our highest call is to make, we become disciples and make disciples who make disciples. I want my grandchildren to be following Jesus and worshiping Jesus. I want my children to be following Jesus. And you know what? We have some kids in this church now. We have the kids we already have that are running around screaming, wearing stuff from the fashion show. And we have three new babies that are coming into the life of this church this year. And if you're pregnant and you haven't told me, I'm sorry. I didn't know we were announcing this if you didn't know. We got little Hannah's coming. We got... Layla's coming. I knew it was Layla, but I had to double check. So we got a lot of girls in this church, and we have a few boys now. And we got Lucas who's coming. I got the okay to tell Bill and Angie, little Lucas is coming too. So we got three new babies who are coming in the life of this church. We want to pray for these children. We want these children, most of all, to live lives that glorify Jesus. And we want to be a place that loves children, loves kids, loves families and raises them in the gospel of the Lord. So what we're really going to talk about today is how can we raise our kids wisely, because that's what we're talking about in Proverbs, because it's first of all, we're raising them for the glory of God. We're also raising them for our own happiness, right? We want our kids to have successful lives according to Jesus. We want our kids to have happy lives. We also want them to be happy. And for our children to be truly happy, They need God, they need Jesus, and they need the gospel. So let's start here. We need to teach our children. This might seem like a simple point, right? But you know that many parents don't realize the importance of making intentional time to teach their children? You are the primary teacher of your child, besides God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You are the one who's going to teach them about God. You are the one who's going to teach them about life. You are the one who's going to teach them wisdom. That's an intimidating thought, right? But you have Jesus. Don't worry. None of us are perfect parents. But you are called to be the primary teacher. I watched one of my favorite 80s movies last night. Karate Kid via 1984. Ralph Macchio. Don't sleep on it. (laughs) We got HDTV. So we didn't buy a TV for 11 years. This thing was old. It was cracking. I said, enough about being modest. This is starting to look downright ridiculous. I need to go buy a TV. And Best Buy had this thing in over 18 months. If you buy, you pay like 25 bucks a month with no interest. I'm like, that's my kind of deal. 
So I just got a 40-inch screen with HD. And so me and my family were watching. We're going through the channels, and Karate Kid was on. And what I didn't realize that I love so much about Karate Kid was the fact, the relationship between Mr. Miyagi, who is now Talia's all-time favorite. She must have said 15 times, I love Mr. Miyagi. Is he still alive? She literally said, I wish I got to meet him. This is how much Mr. Miyagi affected her life. And Daniel's son. The relationship between them was so beautiful. And one of the most beautiful aspects of it was the way that Mr. Miyagi took time to teach Daniel's son. Yeah, I'm going to call him that. Lessons of life. He was fatherless. He had no one to show him direction. He was confused with everything that was going on in his life between moving, between people bullying him, everything he didn't know. But someone took time and became a father figure and said, I'm going to intentionally show you lessons of the life that are going to come you, cover your whole life. As parents, every week, every day, take intentional time as the primary teacher of your child to teach him not only the gospel of Jesus Christ, but teach him in every area of life. That's what happened right now in Proverbs, right? The first nine chapters are Solomon sitting down with his son, writing it down and saying, Son, this is the wisdom you have to learn to live a successful life that glorifies God, brings you joy, and makes me happy as a dad. So you need very intentional time. And here are some practical ways that we have did that in our house. Because I'm one of those guys that I don't like when stuff gets too formal, right? When it gets too formal, I get a little uncomfortable. And maybe I need to grow in that, but I like the casual setting. So I always look for teachable moments with my kids. Like, what are they asking? What do they need to know about Jesus? What do they need to know about life? What do they need to know about God? And look for teachable moments. But I realized I need to grow in maturity and wisdom, and we had to have intentional times where I taught them about the gospel and the Bible. So what we started to do was having weekly family worship on Thursday nights. We get together, I grab the guitar, Natalie sings, I sing, Talia sings, Kira grabs us like play guitar and thinks she's ripping it up, right? And we worship Jesus, we're going through the whole story of the Bible, and Talia literally tells me the place we left off and the place to start. I tried to skip a chapter one time because I said, Abraham's a long story. She's like, what's going on with that? But it becomes a time now where we always have a huge meal. We have a time of worship. We sing together as a family. We pray each of us. We pray for each other. And we study the Bible. And we focus on the gospel. It's important, intentional time to teach my children about the Bible. I want to encourage you with your children. Take intentional time each week to teach them. Every night we recite a verse. Almost every night. It's called the Shema. It's at Deuteronomy 6.4. The Lord our God is one God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. We all repeat that every night because the children of Israel would do that. You don't have to do that. But it gets the most important commandment into my children that they are to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And they love it. We make it exciting. Like It's not like, they're like, love the Lord with all your heart, soul. It's rowdy in there. It gets rowdy. They're happy about it. They're joyful. Sometimes people think you teach your children about God. It's just come like, here we go, light a candle. No, it should be exciting time. I literally, when I teach my kids the gospel, I'll ask them gospel questions like, Kira, who died for your sins? Who laid down his life for you? She'll be like, Jesus. And literally sometimes we get up and run around the house like idiots. She did it like we won the Stanley Cup. 
I still think our children know Jesus better than winning the Stanley Cup. So we run around the house like fools, and we add another question, we run around. It becomes a joyful thing for your children. They love it, they look forward to it. There's excitement, there's feeling, there's Jesus. And they start saying, this isn't a dreary thing. This is something that's going to bring so much joy to my life. So the first thing we want to do in teaching our children is we've got to bring them to the revealed word of God, to the scriptures. And we've got this beautiful portion of scripture I'm going to read to right now um, in Proverbs 3, verse 1 through 12. I just want to read that to you guys. If you have a Bible, you can open up there. Now this is King Solomon, a loving father, sitting down with his son and saying, I'm going to intentionally teach my son the ways of God. He said, my son, do not forget my teaching. He's saying, listen to me, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on a tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will straighten your paths. Make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be wary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, the son, in whom he delights. So I just want to say some crucial teachings. We got the wisest dad in the world right here sitting down with his son and saying, these are the life lessons that you need to know to have success and to have favor with both God and man. The first thing I want to hit on, we have to teach our children to trust God. Right? I remember that verse was um, up in my house to just want to read it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean on, on your own understanding. That was such an important verse. And I encourage people to hang scriptures in their house because if you've got a scripture in your house, even if you don't like the frame, you remember that scripture in your house. He said, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Our children are going to be tempted to trust other things for joy, for happiness for success in their life. They're going to be tested, tempted to trust in money, right? If I can only get enough money, I'll be happy. If I only have enough money, I can make it. If I, if I trust in that, I'll be all right. Maybe they'll trust in the praise of man, right? If only enough people like me and think good of me and think I'm great and think I'm awesome, then I'll be happy. They can think maybe they can trust in their own wisdom, like Solomon said. I'm wiser than God. This says this, but I'm wiser than God. But they need to learn to trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ. They need to learn to trust in God above all. And that starts with little lessons as their, their kids. So Kira and Talia have bunk beds. And so what happens is Kira yells up to Talia sometimes, and I can hear her, says, tell me a scary story. And I say, here, it's about to go down right now. And Callie goes, you want it real scary or a little scary? And I'm saying, here we go. And Kira always, she like stops and pauses. I want it real scary. Come on. 
So she, when she, then she'll tell a scary story, and I said, here we go, I'm not going to bed right now. Dada, will you come over here? Every time she hears a scary story, and I go and I say, Carol, what's wrong? She said, I'm scared. I said, I told you, stop asking your sister to tell you scary stories. She said, but I'm scared, Dada, will you stay in here? I said, I'll pray with you, but you've got to trust Jesus to protect you. I would say, you've got to trust Jesus. She says, okay, daughter, I'm going to trust Jesus. And then Talia will be scared at another time, and you'll hear Kara from a bunk say, come on, Talia, Jesus protects us. Get it together. But there's going to be one day when Kara gets older and Talia get older, and they'll say, I'm anxious about my future. And that lesson has become, trust Jesus. He will protect you. See, daughter, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know if... God still loves me or if I'm good enough to be in favor of God and you're going to say, trust the gospel. Jesus will protect you. He's finished it. Those little lessons that we teach our children will stay with them for the rest of their life. Some of the most important lessons I ever learned were in Sunday school. I swear to goodness, those verses with the teacher who's faithful to God laying down in their life and teaching those Sunday school verses, they stay with me as a little kid. And you'll be amazed what... The Holy Spirit teaches your children, even at a young age through the gospel, when you teach them to trust God. Second, we need to teach our kids to fear God. This is a scary one, and how do we even explain this, right? You know, teach your kids to fear God. I don't want my kids anxious about God. I don't want them afraid of God. So, in the book of Proverbs, you see constantly, when people don't fear God, they take the path of wickedness. And their lives are destruction. Their lives are destroyed. Their lives are horrible. Their lives end up in total ruin. People who don't fear God, don't know God, and therefore live lives that are totally come to ruin ultimately and are wasted. It says in Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom instruction. You can't even be wise unless you fear God first. So let me try to explain this to you in two things that I think are healthy to teach our kids when it comes to fearing God. The first one is God's holiness. I think that a lot of us take, especially in our culture, we take God way too casually. Way too casually. Now, I'm all for God is our friend. I believe God is our friend. But he is our God. He is our king. And you need to have a holy reverence for God. Now, kids need to learn to have a holy reverence for God. They're going to see so much filth. They're going to see so many sinners around them, and they are sinners themselves. If they watch the news itself, they will see murders. They will see shameful things. They will see horrible wars. They need to know that God is totally holy and set apart from all that. That there is no sin in him. That there is no evil in him. That he is transcendent above them. And that is he is absolutely holy. See, the Greeks got this wrong. And what we tend to do sometimes is we tend to make God in our image instead of realizing God made us in his image. So when the Greeks invented all their gods and their mythology, which they really actually worshipped these gods, they realized that they were carnal, so they made the gods carnal. They realized that they were murderous, so the gods were murderous. They realized that they were thieves, so the gods would rob each other. They realized they were sexually immoral, so all the gods were sexually immoral. 
So they didn't make the distinction that we're not holy like God, so they projected God in his image. Our children need to learn that God is absolutely holy, never has sinned, has done no evil, and is transcendent above them. They have to learn that God is absolutely pure and absolutely holy. Secondly, anything that you fear to a degree is so powerful. So they have to know that God is omnipotent, that God is all Powerful. The best way to do that with our children is creation. Kid, kids are amazed by the sky, by the ocean, by the colors in the sky. I know I take Italia when we go down the lake sometimes, and we, we would sit by, one time particularly, we sat by a tree, and I love when the sky's pink, when the sun's setting. You know, I know that's not that masculine, but I love when those colors start going in the sky. So I said, Talia, we got to get down Wakefield Lake, and we got to see this. And as we're sitting there, she said, Dada, did, did God make all of this? I said, absolutely, he made all of this. And she just went, wow. Wow. She just thought of the power of God. She thought about, he's that powerful? He made the stars. He made the sky. He made the clouds. He made the ocean. He made all these things. And our children will begin to develop a reverential fear of God. Not an anxious, I'm scared of God, does he love me? But God is so powerful and so above me and so holy, I stand in a holy reverential fear of my God. Now this is crucial to teach them the gospel, and we will get there. We talked about this extensively last week, and Solomon said this to his son. And some people say, why does Solomon teach this to his son? We have to teach our children. I'm not going to go on forever about this because two weeks ago we talked about money. We've got to teach our children to honor God with their finances. Solomon tells his son to give the first fruit of all his wealth to God. That's a life lesson a loving father told his son. Nothing better when you get adults who have been raised by parents who have taught their kids to be grace givers with their money, and you get to pass to them. Because a lot of the times you're saying, okay, this is why you should give, you be generous, this is where in the Bible. When people come into the church already knowing, having parents who got a hold and said, first fruits, son, first fruits, daughter, go to God, that relieves big stress on the pastor. It's like, oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for parents that understood the wisdom of teaching their kids to give their first fruits to God. And they did that because they were loving parents. They did that because they want their children to be successful. They said, if you want to be honored financially, and we don't preach health and wealth here, so don't get me wrong, but if you want to be honored financially in your life, son or daughter, you've got to understand when you get your money, the first fruit goes to God in his mission. Loving parents do that. And I told you the struggle I had a few weeks ago when my daughter said she wanted to give the church. She doesn't have a job. <laughs> She like got like gift certificates on her birthday. So they get that little cash, you know what I mean? And she says, you have 40 bucks that I want to give to the church. My heart melted. I told you guys, I'll just make it short. I felt like, should I tell her to give the church or should I tell her to put it in the bank, right? Because all the stories I heard, good parents, they just walk in the bank, don't ever take money out ever. Just put it in there and let it rot. <laughs> so I was torn. And then we asked her how much she wanted to give, and she said, I want to give half. Take this 20 and give to God. And I forgot one week to bring it. And she was like, you bring my, you bring my giving, daughter? I was like, no. I knew you wouldn't bring it, she said. You better get that in there. Blessings come my way. No. <laughs> but 
As a dad, I realized it was so important to teach my daughter at a young age because I want to be successful in everywhere. And if she doesn't get a hold of her finances to give to God of her first fruits, she's not going to be good and wise with money. So that's an important thing that my, our children have to learn. Teach your children. God will never forsake them. God will always provide for them. They will always be blessed. They will always be rewarded if they give to God and to the mission of God. Don't believe any lies. That's the best thing you can teach your kids first about finance. Then teach them to budget. Teach them to save their money. Teach them to invest. Well, those are all great things. But it's got to start with being a generous grace giver. And here's the, the fourth one, which is tough for our culture. A loving dad, Solomon, sits down and he says this thing that caught me a little funny in our culture to his son. Imagine if your dad sat you down and said, son, this is crucial. Even this is the last thing he's finishing off with this statement in this portion of the text. He says, learn to love the discipline of God. Because a God who disciplines you delights in you and loves you. That hit me odd. Learn to love God who delights in you that disciplines you. Now, this is so crucial. I was watching... Someone posted it on Facebook. They posted this thing of, you know when they bring those drill sergeants in with like troubled kids and they come in and they're like, you're going to listen, we're going to straighten you out. You guys ever see those clips? So this guy was right there. He's like, there was like a nine-year-old kid with his mom. He must have been giving his uh, his mom trouble. And this guy says, you better straighten out. Do you want me to be your dad? Do you want me to correct you for the next 11 years of my life? Now he's expecting the kid to say, no way, man. I don't want correction. I don't want this. I don't want someone over me. The kid shocked everyone and looked at him and said, yes, I don't have a dad. And the dude didn't even know. He was real tough to that happen. He was like, he literally grabbed the kid and walked into the back like, I can't even handle it. I need to get off TV right now. Because dads who love their sons, moms who love their kids, dads who love their children, discipline and correct their children because they love them. If you don't love and discipline and correct your children, you don't love them. I hear many people say, I don't want them not like me, so I don't want to take that away because I don't want them not like me. When you do that at that moment, you're loving yourself more than you're loving your children. If you're afraid about them liking you or loving you, you just chose your own happiness over your child's. The best thing you can do for your child is in love, in the gospel, discipline them and correct them for the good of their own soul because there's so much foolishness, not only in our hearts, but in the hearts of a child. And they truly want their dad and their mom deep down to correct them and lead them in the ways of the Lord for their good. I'll give you one more story. And please don't take this wrong. Once again, it was on cable. It wasn't a bad show. They were doing a documentary about Jenna Jameson. I had to set that premise before I threw that in there, right? And she was getting interviewed. And she made a statement that still this day bothered me as a dad. When she was like 16 years old, she decided to go to strip clubs. And she decided to, you know, I think she lost her mom at a young age. I can't remember the whole story. But her dad was a cop. And really, some horrible things happened to her, not from her dad, but from other people. And she ended up finding attention and finding praise in the strip clubs. So she'll go in these strip clubs at like 16, 17 years old. And she said to the guy, and it blew my mind, 
She said, every time I was dancing on that pole, all those guys were yelling at me and giving me money. She said, in the back of my mind, the back of my heart, I wanted my dad to kick down those doors, come in there, and drag me out of that place. She wanted a dad who loved her enough to correct her and say, get me out of here, dad. Protect me, love me, care for me. See, we're either in two opposite extremes, and I understand it because we've had a generation of fatherlessness. We really have. And maybe some of us grew up in homes where our dad didn't even pay enough attention to us to discipline us. He didn't have enough time for us to discipline us, so he totally let us do whatever he wanted. Or maybe some of us went in abusive homes where our dad overly abused us or our mom overly abused us. I empathize with you. But what happens is we don't want to go in either one of those extremes. We want to lovingly correct and discipline our kids for the glory of God. So I'll just give you, you know at Restoration Roads, we don't give you like a list of five things to do. We don't do that. You guys have the Holy Spirit for all who believe. We give you the gospel. You have your own children, your own context. You know how to raise them best with your God. And so... We don't want to get involved in that. We want to give you some basic principles rooted in the gospel when it comes to consequences. I would start here with this premise. When you're correcting your children, however you do it, I would stay inside the parameters of the law, and it should never be abusive. Do you guys hear those things? This is the foundation for all correction. And it has to be rooted in the gospel. It has to start with the gospel of grace. So you start like this. Your child's done something wrong. You're correcting them because you love them and you delight in them. Just like God, when he corrects you, he does it because he loves and he delights in you. We don't correct our kids because we're angry and we're sick of it. That's something wrong with our hearts, right? We need to bring that to the gospel. We correct them because we love them, we delight in them, and we want the best for them. Secondly, there has to be consequences. Whatever those consequences are, are up to you as parents, right? But you have to be consistent with your consequences. (laughs) Like you did this wrong, these are the consequences. Because you love them. There's something that always has to be communicated. They're receiving these consequences because you love them and you delight in them. It's important that when you're correcting your children, there's always repentance and forgiveness involved. So it's always centered on the gospel. If I'm correcting one of my children for something, I want to make sure, let's pray together to God to ask him to forgive you and ask that person if you wrong someone to forgive you. That's very important because one of the worst things adults don't get sometimes is sin. They always say, I'm not hurting anyone so it's not sin. I'm like, you missed the whole first part of that thing? When you're sinning against God and that matters more than even sinning against someone else. Do you love when people say, I ain't hurting nobody. You're sinning against God. He told you that's against his law. You're dishonoring, shaming, and not worshiping him. You missed that portion. So first, our children have to get that they've sinned against God. But God is loving. So you're leading to a God that forgives them on the spot, that has died in their place. So repentance and forgiveness are key. And you always center it and saturate it, and it's all about the gospel. Anytime your children are corrected, they need to know you love them before, during, after, and your love has not changed because they did something wrong. Because that's not the gospel. That is not the gospel. We're not 
raising our kids to not do good and not do bad. We're cra- raising our kids to know Jesus, know God, know the gospel, and when they know the gospel, they'll do good things. We don't want to be in that kind of house. Oh, if you do good, I love you as a parent. If you don't do good, I don't love you as a parent. Imagine God did that with us. Oh, he loves me today. He don't love me tomorrow. Oh, I did that. He might love me. I might have to do something to earn his love. That's not the gospel. We love our kids like God loves us. It's finished. It's done. But we have to get to their hearts. Because if their hearts change by the power of the Holy Spirit, then their actions are going to change. So it's not just behavior modification. It's their little hearts getting a hold of a big God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is why I teach my children the fear of God. Because they need to understand that God is holy and powerful and that he He pours out his wrath on the wicked. Right? They need to know that to understand the gospel because I need to be able to say to my kids, listen, God is powerful, he's holy. He doesn't laugh at sin. But what he did on the cross is Jesus got up there and he took your place. And all that wrath that was supposed to be yours and mine because we are wicked, we do sin, it was put on Jesus on the cross. And the Holy Spirit uses that to awaken little hearts to the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's so important. Now, I want to speak to the people who maybe don't have children, don't plan on having children. There are so many ways that you can be a father to the fatherless and a mother to the motherless. Right? Just like Mr. Miyagi. But really, we live in a fatherless generation where so many people need a dad and so many people need a mom. I don't know if anyone read a little more into the story of Mike Kennedy, one of the firefighters who passed away, um, given his life serving. Um, one of the most touching things, or just an additional touching thing, was the fact that he was a big brother and no one even knew it. Like he didn't go out telling everyone. He was a big brother to a, a young boy. I think he was like 13 or 14 named Alex, where he gave his time to not only the boy but to his family because they had no dad in the home. And he brought him to Canopy Lake. He brought him the Celtics games. And I remember the boy telling the story as I'm watching the video. He said, he brought me to Canopy Lake. And when he was dropping me off, he said, Alex, I want to know I love you. And he said, I love you too. I don't think we realize how important it is for so many people that don't have dads, don't have moms, for Christians who know Jesus and love Jesus to get in there and stand in the gap for them. So if you have children not planning on children, you can still be a father to the fatherless. You can still be a mother to mother. Even if you have children, you can look for children that don't have dads, don't have moms. There's 25-year-old grown men out there that still need a dad. They don't know where they're going. Their dad didn't correct them or he overly abused them. And they need a father figure who knows Jesus to get in there and to teach them the gospel. Let us as Restoration Road be people who are looking for opportunities like that. Model grace and repentance in your home for our second point. There's nothing worse than a home that is overly religious. That's the worst, right? You think your parents never did any wrong? Are they sinners? They never raised their voice, Helen. They're magic. 
There's nothing worse than an overly religious home where your children think that you're not a sinner and you don't have frailties and you don't have weaknesses and you don't have fear. Of course, we need to be a good dad and a good mom and exemplify Christ. But they need to know that you need Jesus just as much, if not more, than they need Jesus. And they need to know that when you do wrong, that you're going to repent to them. We all know there's nothing worse than a parent that never thinks they do anything wrong, right? I shall not apologize. I'm your father. No. I'm a sinner. I shouldn't have raised my voice there. I shouldn't have been aggravated. I should have thought I should have spent more time with you. I'm sorry. Model repentance and model grace in your home. Pray with them. Pray with your children. It's so crucial to pray for them and pray with them that they have a dad and a mom. And here are some extra pointers from me that are not in the canon of Scripture. I've been a dad for 10 years, so I'll give you some good pointers. They're not overly spiritual. I'll tell you right now before I come out the gate. You've got to have fun with your kids. There's nothing worse than an overly serious dad who doesn't know how to laugh and be goofy. Come on, dad, can we play? No. I shall study the canon. Come dust off the Bible with me. You've got to have fun with your kids. You've got to laugh. You've got to play. You've got to act a fool sometimes. You've got to set up times where we're just going to have fun. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is coming out on August 8th. I've already watched the trailer five to seven times just to be a good dad. Me and Talia are so psyched up, and you've got to pick a turtle to be. I've never done this before. But she's going to be Michelangelo. I'm between Raphael and Leonardo, and we're seeing that on opening day. The prior three weeks, order a pizza, watch Ninja Turtles 1. Serious. Next week, Secret of the Ooze, Vanilla Ice, Go Ninja, second week pizza. Third week, Ninja Turtles 3 wasn't that great, but you've got to give it its props to watch. They need to know that you're having absolute fun with them. I don't even know if I want to tell you that. They have me act like stupid characters to tell stories at night. Like I literally, Natalie's walked in on me a couple times and I felt embarrassed as a man. As a man, I felt like, what have I become? I got like a hat on, I got a jacket, scarf. Last week I had shaving cream on like I was some old grandfather and with a big beard just acting a fool. I have an old plumber costume that I dance in the room with. You gotta act ridiculous. They laugh and they literally, it was for Halloween guys, it was an old plumber thing, like, they literally, when I bring that character in the room, I shouldn't be telling this, I feel ridiculous already. They run up to me and hug me like I'm literally this character, like an idiot. I'm like, I might have taken this thing too far. But they know that not only is their dad providing for them, not only is their dad loving them and teaching them the worship of Jesus, not only is their dad correcting them, but their dad is willing to have fun with them. He's willing to play with them. He cares about them enough to play all different games, whether it's hide-and-go-seek or it's whatever it is. Those are very important and things that you need to make intentional time for with your children. You need to tell them you love them in creative ways. We, every night I ask my kids so they understand how much I love them. How much your Gaga, they call me Gaga, how much your Gaga love you? And every night they say more than the whole galaxy. So they understand every night. And we get our special handshakes that are important. It's like a thumbs up hit. And then we get the whole family and they come together and we do best friends. It's all ridiculous, but I'm giving you some secrets right here that are important for your kids 
to understand that. Have intentional family days where you shut off that phone and no one else can call you. It's just you, your family, and your children. Every Saturday, 95% of the time, unless there's a wedding some that phone is off and they know it's family day and they'll call me out on it. It's family day. Where are you going? That's important that your kids know that that time is set aside for them. And lastly, in closing, the, you know, for any single moms, and some people living on, listen online, at least three people listen online, it's big time. I don't want to leave single moms out of this because sometimes it's overwhelming as a single mom or a single dad to say, I, who's going to be a dad to my kid or who's going to be a mom to my kid? I always want to say in an encouraging way that God is a father to the fatherless. And one of the best things that happened to me, because I went through times of just being a single mom household and some craziness, was I was able to come church, come to church to see men who were following Jesus. If your children don't see men and women who are following Jesus, it's not healthy for their life, for their life. They need to be around a community to see men and women who are going after Jesus and following in Jesus. So be encouraged at that. Our goal at Restoration Road is a bunch of kids who grow up to glorify and know God. Amen?